The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you all for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you have joined us, and as usual, we've got a great program to you for you today, and I think that's uh, one that you'll really relate to and uh, enjoy and get a lot out of. I want to thank you also for liking our Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook. Thank you so much for posting on there, and thank you also for sending me your emails and letting me know what's happening for you in your life, in your spiritual growth, and in your recovery. I very much appreciate your participation. And I want to thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, and uh, your other spiritual communities, your family, your friends, know about us here on Spirit of Recovery. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. And um, again, thank you so much for listening and thank you for letting me know that what we're doing here is making a difference for you, that um, the guests that we have on here are touching your heart, they're opening your mind, they're inspiring you, they're opening new doors, new understandings about what's possible um, in the recovery journey and in the growth and spirituality. And every week we do talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative. My guests are either people who are in recovery themselves or who work with or write for or who have uh, interesting connections with the recovery process. And they're bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know, you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can uh, listen live. You can listen via your computer. You can listen via your smart device. You can um, listen on demand. We've got lots of great archives. Just go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery, and you'll find a wonderful variety of topics and guests that will uplift you and open possibilities for you. The Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, and so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or maybe you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, perhaps you are in your own recovery as a family member or a friend or or not, maybe your family member or friend's not 
in recovery doesn't make any difference. We're glad you're here. Maybe you're just curious and looking for information about the recovery process, about what it's all about, and I'm just glad that you're here, glad that you're listening. You're welcome to um, call in or email in with a question or a comment. We'd be glad to hear from you. You're welcome to participate. I want you to know also that if you like what you hear on Spirit of Recovery and also on the many other wonderful programs here on unityonlineradio.org, if you feel so inclined, you can support this radio station financially. It's very simple. You can uh, make a one-time gift or a recurring financial contribution. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone and your contributions do make a difference because they support this nonprofit radio station that brings you lots of great programming about spirituality. Again, my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister and an Addictions Counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction and 34 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of uh, personal growth, of spiritual growth and development, and I'm very grateful for that. My walk continues to be an integration of unity principles and recovery principles, and that keeps transforming my life. It keeps me getting in touch with my higher power and ever deeper and richer ways and um, I'm just grateful and delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to hear what you're experiencing on your spirituality and recovery walk. Well today we've got a very special program for you, we always do, but um, today's a, a, a especially interesting one. We're going to be reflecting on the story of the movie and as you will learn if you didn't already know it was originally a live tv drama uh the days of wine and roses uh that the movie came out in 1962 the uh, playhouse 90 tv drama of the original of it was out in 1958 and that story that incredible story that's uh, portrayed in the days of wine and roses has played a really important part in the growing awareness of alcoholism as a disease and also uh, in the awareness of the availability of paths to recovery and one of those certainly is Alcoholics Anonymous and as you may well know this story portrays a young couple whose love for each other dramatically spiraled down into an obsession with alcohol and it uh, the story reveals in very realistic ways the depths of despair that alcoholism causes as well as the possibility for recovery. The movie version, again, that came out in 1962, was adapted from the 1958 Playhouse 90 TV drama. And the author of that, the playwright, was J.P. Miller. And J.P. Miller was a leading playwright, a screenwriter, and a novelist. Today we have the privilege of having the late J.P. Miller's son as our guest. It's Monty Miller. And Monty has done a lot of uh, study and has shown a lot of interest in this story. He has a website called www.thedaysofwineandroses.com, so you can visit that and get more information. But Monty's going to share with us today the story behind the story, how his father came to write The Days of Wine and Roses, and how how it has impacted 
the modern recovery movement. So, Monty, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. I'm so glad you're here. Well, uh, thanks for that excellent and wonderful, very kind introduction, Anna. Uh, I, I really appreciate your kind words. Uh, and uh, I would like to say to all of you out there uh, that uh, I greatly appreciate your being part of this program today and uh, the fact that uh, Anna brings uh, this community together uh, is uh, is very touching and very meaningful to me. Um, as uh, as Anna um, uh, shared with you all, uh, my father, J.P. Miller, uh, was the author of the original story of the Days of Wine and Roses. And um, <clears throat> it's a it's a journey, really, uh, that took him uh, from his early days uh, as a young man in West Texas uh, to uh, create that story and to uh, create those characters that have had so much meaning over the years to so many people. And uh, so I would like to start out by saying, uh, talking a little bit about um, where his journey began, because I think it um, helps to provide a little background uh, that all of you will uh, be able to understand has an impact as we go through life on uh, the directions we take. Um, my father was born uh, right here in Texas in uh, San Antonio, so he's, uh, he's a, uh, a, a somewhat of local. Uh, Texas Bund runs in the family quite deep, and uh, he grew up, uh, he was born in uh, 1919 during the Depression, uh, or pr prior to the onset of the Depression, um, uh, right at the end of World War One, and um, he uh, grew up in a, in a working class family. His father was a successful builder, uh, and um, uh, but also a hard-drinking uh, contractor, and uh, so uh, at prior to the onset of the depression, uh, they had uh, made a fairly good living and uh, owned a couple of properties. And uh, then, uh, as most of you know, uh, the depression hit in 1929, and uh, the depression hit uh, West Texas uh, very hard. And um, so my father was a, a young fellow uh, at 10 years old. Um, he uh, uh, had uh, seen uh, the world in uh, quite, a, quite a different light from what most of us have seen in our lifetimes. Um, and uh, as they watched neighbors lose their homes and neighbors lose their jobs, uh, my father's family also fell victim to the uh, ravages of the economic depression that uh, spanned the country. Um, his uh, family lost their home, uh, and, uh, and uh, they were living basically in a simple uh, structure um, with, uh, at one point, my father told me that they had apple crates to sit on. And um, his father's brother, uh, my father's uncle, was also uh, a heavy drinker, 
really quite a serious alcoholic. And uh, one night uh, after the onset of the depression, his uh, his uh, my father's uncle burned his own house down, uh, smoking in bed after um, drinking himself into a stupor. And uh, he survived the blaze and moved into the home with my father, and uh, so uh, and his family. So uh, at uh, one December evening, uh, they had decorated the uh, a small Christmas tree uh, with aluminum foil and tin foil from uh, cigarette packs and gum wrappers uh, in a very simple way uh, to celebrate the holiday. And uh, my father heard a noise coming from the living room where the tree was, and he got up and uh, walked down the short hall and peeked into the living room, and, and there he saw his uncle in a drunken rage tearing the tree apart limb from limb, uh, and uh, that left a lasting impression on my father, um, and he incorporated that impression into later into uh, a particular scene which shows up in uh, both versions of Days of Wine and Roses. So um, he, uh, he ended up uh, joining the Navy um, after the war started. And um, uh, he saw a lot of action in the South Pacific, uh, serving on three ships. Uh, he served on the Bella Wood. If there are any Navy folks out there, many of you uh, will have heard of the Bella Wood. Um, and uh, all of the ships that he served on were shot uh, uh, quite heavily by uh, uh, the uh, the enemy uh, fire, and uh, he saw a lot of action. He saw a lot of uh, friends uh, perish in the war, and uh, he eventually was uh, seriously injured during a kamikaze attack and uh, was evacuated off of the ship and uh, returned to the States with severe injuries to both of his knees. Um, and uh, so uh, after a period of several months of uh, physical therapy and uh, being told he would never uh, be able to walk without braces again, he uh, decided that uh, he had long wanted to be a writer. He had he'd been interested in poetry and writing and drama for most of his life. And uh, so he uh, applied for, he had, he had gone to Rice University prior to the war. He applied for um, entry into Yale Drama School and uh, was able to get into Yale Drama School uh, with uh, help from the GI uh, Bill, and uh, which, of course, we, we, we imagine wouldn't be possible today. Uh, but uh, he got into the Yale Drama School. And uh, so Yale Drama School uh, became an important vehicle for his career in television and film, uh, not only because of the great um, uh, knowledge base there and the work that he did there, but also because of the people he met there. Um, and in particular, uh, one person who he met there who would later become uh, a very critical part of his uh, career 
was a uh, wonderful director by the name of Delbert Mann. Uh, Delbert Mann, uh, some of you may have heard of him, directed uh, another very famous uh, live teleplay uh, for Playhouse 90 that later became a film called Marty, starring, uh, starring Ernest Borgnine. And so my father and Delbert became fast friends at uh, Yale, and, and Delbert left and went on to uh, uh, to uh, a university, I believe in uh, I believe in South Carolina. I'll have to research that again. But um, Delbert uh, ended up in New York, and when it came time uh, to um, uh, make a decision about where to go to get his career going. Uh, my father had met my mother, and they had decided to go to New York uh, on Delbert's uh, advice that the television business was exploding, and that it was the place to um, uh, to go if you wanted to get a start in television. So he uh, he and my mother packed up, went to New York City, got a very very small apartment uh, in uh, Queens. And um, and uh, he uh, was uh, selling um, industrial air conditioning units uh, for a while while he tried to get his writing career going. Um, as far as I know, uh, I don't recall that he actually ever sold uh, an industrial air conditioning unit, but that was on his resume. And uh, he... Um, uh, took his first script into New York City on a subway uh, and walked into the offices of Fred Coe, who was uh, an executive producer in New York at that time, who was a champion for the writers. And uh, the secretary said, uh, Mr. Miller, uh, Mr. Coe isn't here right now, but his office is down the hallway, uh, and you're welcome to just go leave it on his desk. I'm sure probably some of you find that amusing since uh, today we imagine the, con the idea of someone uh, breaking into uh, the television or film industry uh, to be uh, a, a long, uh, scary process of going through a multitude of layers of, of uh, guardians uh, who uh, look at your script with a strange, quizzical uh, look on their face and uh, tell you to come back some other time. Uh, so it was pretty amazing at that time. The door was open. Uh, he went home, and uh, a few days later, the phone rang, and it was uh, Fred Coe on the phone. And uh, he said, uh, uh, J.P. Miller, this is Fred Coe. And my dad said, yes. He said, well, I have your script here, and uh, we like it. We'd like to buy it. And uh, he said, uh, who's your agent? Okay, hold, hold on to that, Monty. Yeah. It's time for our first break. Okay. So stay with us. All right. Back and we'll find out the rest of that story. Stay with us. <laughs> All right. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Do you ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? 
When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings, is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck, author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart-Centered Metaphysics speaks to truth-seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on Shop. Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your host. And our topic today is reflections on the days of wine and roses. And uh, we're talking about the story of the days of wine and roses and how it came to be written. Uh, As you may be aware, it was a movie that was made in 1962, yet the original version of it was a 1958 Playhouse 90 TV drama. And it was uh, written by the leading playwright, screenwriter, and novelist, J.P. Miller. My guest today is Monty Miller, who is the son of the late J.P. Miller, and he is sharing with us the story behind the story, how his father came to write The Days of Wine and Roses, how he was engaged in life, and um, how he came to write such an honest story. So uh, it's great. Uh, Monty's been sharing with us uh, about his father's life and about many things that he went through, and uh, we're going to hear more about that later and about how the uh, Days of Wine and Roses, how that has impacted the modern recovery movement. Before we do that, I invite you to take a moment with me in the Serenity Minute, which is just a moment to become still, to relax, to um, take a moment of meditation to make that conscious contact with your higher power as you understand it. So I do invite you to relax, to be aware of yourself present in this moment, be aware of yourself present in your body temple. You might want to be aware of your breath as it comes in and goes out. And share with me this constructive idea. I'm grateful for all those who have walked the recovery path before me and made room for me. I'm grateful for all those who've walked the recovery path before me and made room for me. And we take just a moment in the quiet.
thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I hope that that was an opportunity for you to take a moment to become still and to uh, make that conscious contact with your higher power. I'm, uh, we're getting back now to my conversation with my guest, Monty Miller, son of the playwright of The Days of Wine and Roses, J, the late J.P. Miller. And I do want to encourage you today to... Uh, Send us an email or call in with a comment or question because I know that this, I know a lot of people are probably more familiar with the movie version, but the, the basic story is the same. But I know a lot of people have had experience with this and it's maybe made an impact on your own life. So I encourage you uh, to give us a call or send us an email with a, a comment or a question for my guest today, Monty Miller. And uh, that phone number, if you want to call in, is 888 888- Five five eight six four eight nine. So it's eight 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 five five U N I T Y. So give us a call or send us an email. We'd love to hear from you and what your experience has been with the days of wine and roses. So Monty, you were telling us before you, this, this incredible story about how it used to be. I guess in the fifties, if you were a writer and you were good, you could kind of just walk into the producer's office and. Give him your script. So what happened? You, you said your dad put his script, for not the Days of Wine Rose, but his first script on the producer. I guess Fred, Fred Coe's a producer, I guess. Is that correct? That, that, that's yeah. absolutely correct, Anna. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, and, yes, he was, sitting, he was sitting on the phone with the producer, and the producer said, uh, of course, uh, who's your agent? And my dad said, well, I don't have an agent. And Fred Coe said, well, how did I get your script? And he said, I, I, I walked in and I left it on your desk. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was a, a, a very uh, powerful moment because uh, he was paid $1,200 for, for that first script. Uh, that was uh, a tremendous amount back in the early 1950s. Mm-hmm. And uh, my father was very proud, and he came home and he announced that he was a writer and that uh, and that uh, that's all he would be doing from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so uh, and so began uh, his career. And uh, he he uh, at that time, uh, first of all, uh, everything was black and white. Television was. A, uh, an extraordinary tool at that time. It was still sort of new and, uh, the networks were, uh, cre- cre- trying to create as much, uh, material as they could, as much content as they could. And so they needed writers. And, uh, but writers are people who are artists who take, um, what's happening in life and, and re-reflect it back to us. Uh, through their lens of consciousness. And um, so uh, writers often uh, will want to create stories that have some kind of real meaning and purpose to the viewers. Uh, the networks, and in particular the advertisers at that time, had a different view. Uh, the, the advertisers and the networks wanted to create content and programming that would shape contemporary life rather than be a reflection of reality. And so there was a tremendous amount of resistance from the, from the advertisers to allowing any kind of controversial subject matter to be uh, portrayed in front of the American viewing public. 
And um, thank, uh, thank God for Fred Coe, the champion for the writers, because Fred Coe uh, was a fighter and a champion for the writers. And when the networks would send uh, a, a representative to the uh, studio uh, to say, I'm sorry, uh, but, uh, you know, our soap company doesn't want people to see anyone having a bad day. Uh, they want to see happy families and everything going fine. Uh, Fred Coe would, uh, would get in the middle of it and have a big fight uh, and uh, was uh, renowned to have raised his voice quite a bit uh, and, uh, and stuck up for the writers, and he would fight and fight until uh, they, uh, they at least came to some form of compromise that didn't destroy the artist's work. Um, so, uh, the, uh, the time was, uh, moving ahead and my dad's career was moving ahead. He actually had an opportunity to work on a movie with, uh, Burt Lancaster and he went to California and, uh, and, uh, the, uh, name of the movie, which some of you know, uh, from the Clint Eastwood version, uh, was, uh, uh was, um, a, uh, a, a film that, um, uh, that really had a lot of issues and troubles when it started out, uh, in the mid fifties, um, and, uh, and, and, and later became, uh, a, a successful film with Clint Eastwood. But in the early days, uh, Burt Lancaster, uh, and, um, and, uh, uh, Delbert Mann was the director. Del- uh, Burt Lancaster, an actor, also was the producer. Sometimes the actors, uh, who try to become producers aren't necessarily the best at it. Um, uh, but, uh, the, it was called The Unforgiven. And I'm sure, ah, uh, yeah. some of you, some of, I'm sure some of you may be familiar with, uh, the later version from Clint Eastwood. But those of you who, uh, are old time film buffs, uh, probably remember the, the Burt Lancaster original from the 50s. And, uh, so my father went to, uh, Hollywood and, uh, and they were staying in, Be- they rented a home in Beverly Hills. Uh, and, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, they rented a home, uh, that, uh, Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio had once shared. <laughs> and, uh, so it was, it was very exciting for, uh, a country a country lad like my father who, uh, who really had, uh, uh, very strong, uh, uh, down to earth roots. Uh, and, um, and suddenly he finds himself in, uh, in Beverly Hills, uh, going to the offices of Burt Lancaster. And, uh, it turned out to be a, a rough experience. In fact, uh, he had, uh, received word from the studio that they loved the script and they, and, and it was very exciting and they were very excited about it. And then he got a call a couple of days later and they said, gee, you know, Mr. Miller, uh, Miss, Mr. Lancaster, uh, loves the script and it's fantastic, but they wonder if you could add a part, uh, for, um, uh, if, if you could possibly add a major star part, uh, and um, my father was beside himself because if anyone's familiar out there with the script process, you create characters, you create the storyline, and then just you can't just throw someone in haphazardly. Uh, it doesn't work that way. 
So anyway, it ended up badly. Uh, he ended up leaving that production. Delbert Mann left the production. They ended up having three writers, three directors, and uh, it was quite a, uh, a frustrating exercise for my dad. And uh, so he came back to New York uh, rather embittered about the whole process. And he called Fred Coe, and he said, Fred, uh, I'm giving up writing. I'm going to get a boat, and I'm going to sail away with my family uh, for a few years, and I'm not going to be a writer. It's, that's it. I've had it. I can't take this kind of uh, crazy nonsense. And um, so uh, Fred Coe uh, said, well, uh, listen, JP, uh, this is a terrible news. Uh, we need you. And uh, the television industry needs you. Uh, your work is fantastic. And I, I, I would just ask you to write one more uh, story for me. And I'd like you to write it about anything you want to. Uh, but it just needs to be a powerful story about something real, some kind of important real thing that's going to have meaning to people. And my dad said, well, I'll think about it. You know, So... Uh, about two weeks later, uh, my dad was uh, lying in bed at 1.30 in the morning, unable to sleep, and suddenly it hit him. The idea came to him, and he ran over and picked up the phone and called Fred Coe, who also, uh, by the way, was a, uh, was a well-known heavy drinker. And my father knew that Fred Coe would be up drinking at two in the morning and he called him and, and, uh, Fred Coe said, Pappy, is that you? And my dad said, yep. He says, uh, listen, Fred, I, I, I've got the story. I've figured out the story. And Fred says, what is it? What is it? And my dad, uh, said, well, it's a story about two young people who fall in love and they drink. And he said, and then, the bottle becomes more important to each of them than they are to each other. And Fred Coe said, that's it. Fantastic. Write it, JP. And um, that was the beginning of the concept of the Days of Wine and Roses. Okay, we've got, uh, a, caller. It, we've got a caller on the line, Monty. Um, so okay. hang on to that. Well, well, that's let's, hear, let's hear what our caller has. Absolutely. Give a minute here. We'll get her on the line. All right. Hello, caller. Hi. Hi. This. <clears throat> thank you for taking my call. Yes. We're glad to hear from you. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that um, your father certainly did make something very real. I had seen the movie when I was 28 years old, and 11 years later, because of the scene in the greenhouse, I... Uh, I went into recovery because I found my own greenhouse, and I want to thank thank him for that and for this program uh, as well. But my question is, in those years, there was so little known about addiction and especially Alcoholics Anonymous. It was they were still delivering in some states um, liquor by a taxi cab because it was not lawful. And I'm so I was so impressed with this movie and the depth of understanding addiction that your father created and his what was his real interest in Alcoholics Anonymous because he brought it to the forefront. 
Well, it's a very good question. Um, I, I think that it's really like for most writers, uh, the subject matter that they become interested in is often generated by the combined uh, experiences of their own life. And so um, he, he uh, you know, growing up in an environment uh, with uh, surrounded by hard-drinking men who, uh, who were often uh, not sober, and, uh, and then uh, going into the Navy and fighting in the war. And as, as many of us know, um, who, who've known veterans who, who from the greatest generation that came back from that war, uh, many of them suppressed the terrible uh, emotional trauma that they experienced with alcohol, self-medicating. And uh, so the, the 50s uh, was a tremendous period of alcohol consumption by uh, soldiers who now we understand had post-traumatic disorder. But it wasn't something that was talked about then. Uh, men were supposed to remain uh, quiet about it. And if they had problems with it, they were not supposed to talk about it. And so uh, then he got into the television and film business, which was riddled with um, alcohol and uh, people who uh, were uh, prone to excesses. And so when, when the opportunity came for him to write about something really, really powerful, and Fred Coe promised him that he could write it about any subject that he wanted to, uh, I think that he seized the moment to uh, take on a subject that was uh, basically uh, still uh, hidden in the shadows, and he felt that it was his, his one uh, opportunity to uh, pull back the curtain uh, from that and to expose uh, to the light uh, and, and to uh, people uh, what this devastating disease really was about. And I, I think that he, as he wrote the script and as he researched the story, um, he became far more knowledgeable about the disease than he imagined he ever would. Wow. Well, uh, it, I've never, I have never witnessed or any kind of movie that is so visceral. And when I saw this being done today, I had a, a really a visceral response because it is so powerful. He captured, I mean, you have to be in it yourself, but he captured it amazingly. I mean, it was just incredible from the seduction to the spiral to to the loss of hope to hope. It was, it's really marvelous, and I thank you for that. And thank you for answering the well, question. Well, thank you. And, uh, and, I, and I do want to um, say, and I want to share this with all of the listeners out there, that uh, her uh, comment, our listeners' comment about the greenhouse scene and the impact that that had on her, um, that scene was taken directly from the scene in my father's childhood when he came in and saw the uncle uh, tearing the Christmas tree from limb to limb. Uh, that is the uh, foundation of that scene that you were describing in the greenhouse. And so I just wanted to share that with you. So um, Thank you. You're welcome. You're so thank welcome. You, thank you so much. And thank, thank you, you. Thank you so much thank for listening and thanks for calling in and thanks for your comment and grateful that this 
movie and the story has impacted your life so much. And Thanks I'm grateful as well. And thank you for this program. Yes, Bye-bye. ma'am. Bye. So, Monty did... Um, we just got to let's let's take our break right now, and then I'll come back and okay. uh, got some more questions for you. Uh, okay. Our topic today is reflections on the days of wine and roses, and my guest is Monty Miller, the son of the late J.P. Miller, who is the playwright, the author of the Days of Wine and Roses. Stay with us; we'll be right back. We are all on the journey together, making sense of this life, finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery, with articles and features from leading authors, teachers, and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. It's Kitchen Table Karma. Make kind food choices. Watch more good come into your own experience. Feed your body with bright, fresh, colorful foods from nature and develop the glow of radiant health. Learn how to easily reap these benefits in your life with Victoria Moran's latest book, The Good Karma Diet. Eat gently, feel amazing, age in slow motion. Including stories from real people whose dietary change graced their lives in remarkable ways. Plus, 40 delectable superfood recipes from culinary alchemist Doris Finn. Available wherever books are sold as a print edition, an ebook, or a deluxe Kindle or Nook book with 30 minutes of audiovisual extras. The Good Karma Diet. Share the love and love your life. You're listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host. And today our topic is Reflections on the Days of Wine and Roses. And my guest is Monty Miller, who's the son of the late J.P. Miller, who's the playwright who wrote um, that incredible story, So Real, um, that talks about the spiral down into alcoholism and also about the possibility of recovery and uh, that he wrote that. It was produced in 1958 as a Playhouse 90 live TV drama. And um, as we get back to this, one thing that is just incredible to me, and, and I know Monty's going to comment on this some more in, in general about how his dad knew about the recovery piece, but um, I found online that actually this May, just last month, at the University of Toronto's Hart House Theatre, they had a uh, run of the a revival of the Days of Wine and Roses of the original drama uh, as a fundraiser for an addiction treatment center, uh, Renaissance, I think, in Canada. And it features an all-recovery cast. So these are professional actors, but they couldn't even audition unless they were people in recovery. And so it's incredible. Uh, and so, as Monty says, this, this does get revived from time to time. So uh, it's still making 
making an impact, uh, still making an impact. So how did your dad know about the recovery piece? You've talked to us about how he knew about alcoholism, the disease. How did he know? Because the recovery piece, that's the, the story. starts with with that, with the man telling us. Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. That's and, right. Hey. Well, well, Anna, um, that is absolutely correct. And, and uh, my father was a great researcher. He was not... Uh, the kind of writer that would just sort of um, pull together the story and try to present it uh, off the top of his head. He was very, very much dedicated to uh, knowing the uh, most intimate and important details of uh, a story that he was writing. And so uh, when he, uh, when it struck him uh, that he needed to write that story, uh, and I think most people recognize that writers are often writing uh, anecdotally uh, and uh, from from their own life. Um, he he knew that he needed to research the subject. He knew that he had to tackle the the, the most important part of it, which was understanding um, what uh, the options are for people uh, when they. Uh, are in uh, the middle of this disease. And, uh, and so he immediately began researching the story. Uh, of course, uh, Bill W. was, uh, uh, and, and uh, AA was um, uh, sort of uh, not known generally. It wasn't something that you'd see on television on a regular basis. And uh, so my father uh, made a point of uh, meeting Bill W., getting to know Bill W., speaking with him personally on many occasions, and attending uh, meetings so that he would understand uh, what it was all about and how it, uh, was, um, uh, how it was handled. And so in the original story, um, which aired live, as, uh, as Anna said, in 1958, in October of 1958 on live television, um, the story really starts out with uh, Clay, uh, Joe Clay, uh, the main character, uh, speaking in front of a meeting and uh, admitting that he is an alcoholic. And it was a very difficult uh, experience, but it starts out with him telling the story and then he goes back. So it's a retrospective in front of this group. And um, so uh, that that really was the uh, the essence of his research and uh, the energy he put into understanding the subject as best as anyone could. And in fact, I was born in 1956, so I was two years old at the time when this uh, live program came on. Uh, but then in uh, in the early 60s, uh, and, and by the way, that first version was with Cliff Robertson and Piper Laurie. And I'm going to read something to you from Cliff Robertson uh, that was... Uh, uh, that he wrote uh, for me to read at my father's memorial service. Um, but uh, but it later uh, in in the early 1960s, the uh, the uh, big studios were looking for important, powerful stories to tell, and uh, they asked my father to write the screenplay, adapt the original story that he wrote for Playhouse 90 to to make it into a film uh, for Warner Brothers, and uh, they chose. Uh, Blake Edwards to direct, um, and, uh, and, uh, Jack Lemon, uh, and Lee Remick 
And uh, my father was not very thrilled with the fact that it was uh, Blake Edwards was more of a comedy director, he felt. Uh, and he was concerned that uh, Jack Lemmon was a uh, more of a comedian uh, or a comic actor. But uh, but in the end, the story uh, still held up and uh, it, it, it didn't lose uh, too much of its important uh, message, but it was uh, more polished. Uh, with the uh, Henry Mancini soundtrack, which, by the way, won uh, Best Original Score in uh, 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 the Academy Awards that year, 1962. Um, but uh, my my mother remarked to me uh, on uh, over the years uh, that uh, as they were preparing uh, uh, for the film, uh, they would go into New York City and they would meet uh, for dinner or have uh, drinks. And she said that uh, she uh, approached Jack Lemon, uh, who had uh, who had gone up to the bar at the uh, at the uh, the Plaza Hotel uh, where they were having dinner in the Oak Room, and and uh, and she said uh, she said uh, um, uh, that's that's your that's your third or fourth drink, isn't it, Jack? And and uh, he looked at her and he said he said I'm practicing for the part. Oh, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> As we all know, uh, uh, many of those uh, characters uh, actually uh, had issues with alcohol, and in some ways they were perhaps uh, uh, taking on that role and uh, using that as an opportunity to um, try to heal themselves in some way. Now, I want to read something to you uh, uh, briefly because we don't have much time left. Um, that uh, uh, when when my father passed away on November 1st of 2001, I put together a small service a memorial for him at Theater West in, on Coanga Boulevard in Hollywood because I knew many of his old friends were too elderly to travel across the country to New Jersey where he had a farm. And so um, I wrote to, I called Cliff Robertson up and uh, he was on the East Coast at the time and couldn't make it out to California. And so he sent me uh, the following um, facts, and he asked me if I would be kind enough to read it for the uh, people who attended his service. And so I'd like to share it with you. Yes. This is from, Cliff, this is from Cliff Robertson. Okay. J.P. Miller, he would fool you. This arm is a better word. No sooner had he gripped your hand, fixed those smiling blues on you, than you were awash with his warm words. Texas accents would carry them from his heart to yours. You were immediately a buddy. You felt so because he felt so. We pulled a long bow, JP and I, all the way back to Playhouse 90 and his Days of Wine and Roses, the original. The first, my first big break on television and his. We shared that reflected glory and regrets that I couldn't do the movie. I didn't have the name or the money. We would reminisce later, clasping those big hands on my shoulders. He would smile and say, damn it, Cliff, sooner or later we got to do it again. And he meant it. And I mean it when I say, damn it, JP, you left too soon. But we'll do it, JP, only next time on our terms, terms of a higher dimension, written by Cliff Robertson. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. You know, it, it, so, what, uh, 
Well, what that brings to mind to me is I know that uh, in, in uh, some of the things I've read that it uh, said that the original screenplay as your dad wrote it was maybe a, was really more impactful that uh, maybe a little less I don't know what frills that's my word that's not what was said but more honest do you think that's true maybe that's what Cliff Robertson was reflecting there too that it was more real more honest than kind of even though the movie was incredible but what do you think about that uh, well is that question to me uh, that, mm-hmm. that uh, yeah yes yes uh, well uh, my father believed that the original live teleplay uh, was more real and more gritty and um, was uh, it, it lacked the technical polish that the film had um, and did not have the um, the uh, deeply uh, uh, haunting melody of um, uh, that was uh, written um, you know for the film um, and, and I tend to agree uh, but I have them both on DVD and I watch them both and I I find that uh, that both um, uh, tell a deeply painful story uh, that all of us have seen played out in some fashion uh, in our lives with our friends or with our families. And, uh, and so I find them both to have a great deal of meaning. I'm only sorry that the old kinescopes from uh, 1958 uh, are not uh, put on television very much because uh, uh, they they just uh, they lack the um, uh, the technical excitement of uh, of polished movies. But I hope someday that uh, it'll be available on Netflix uh, so that uh, any of you out there who want to see the original would uh, would be able to just call it up on Netflix and be able to watch it at will. Um, right. it's, now, it's, a one, your- it's a wonderful piece. Right. On your website, www.thedaysofwineandroses.com, people can at least uh, see more, maybe can see some still shots, or I guess maybe they can't watch the movie through that, maybe, but they can see some some shots. Not not right now. Um, You know, of course, there are copyright issues uh, with all of those things. Uh, Mm -hmm. What I can can say uh, is is that uh, you can see... Uh, some uh, wonderful, intimate uh, images from my father's life and from um, the, uh, the, 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 you know, his, his uh, time as a writer. Uh, there are a few interesting images up there and just some fun stories that you can read about. And uh, as time goes by, I will update that site. Uh, and hopefully... Uh, at one time, I, I am hoping that we will be able to secure a star on the Walk of Fame uh, for him uh, for that story. And the reason that I want to do that, of course, is not because it's going to uh, uh, be uh, terribly special just to have a star, but because when the Hollywood Chamber installs a star, it gets publicity, they put it on, and they talk about it. And I would like to see the story talked about more. I think mm-hmm. that there are many. I think there are many generations today who are not necessarily familiar with the story and could benefit from hearing about and seeing the story again. Great, our time is up, Monty. Thank you so much. This is incredible. Um, I 
No, Monty, and uh, didn't know that uh, he was the son of J.P. Miller, who wrote Days of Wine and Roses, and Monty shared that with me a few weeks ago, and I said, oh, you got to be on my program, and he graciously agreed. So thank you so much for sharing this, and again, much many thanks to your father for <clears throat> well, writing this incredible story. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I'd like to especially thank all of the listeners um, for being part of this very special uh, afternoon for me. All right. Well, thank you all listeners for being here, and uh, be blessed, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. If I were brave, I'd walk the razors with Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests We'll share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. 
Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.